Welcome to the first episode of 28 Tech. My name is Angelina Draper and I'm your host, bringing you up to date on the week's big tech news stories, companies and personalities. After the Tech News Roundup, every week I'll be exploring a new theme together with my guests from Hong Kong and around the world. We look at how innovation and technology are shaping, evolving and even disrupting the way we live our lives. In the final segment, I'm joined by industry journalists and other members of the digital world to select and discuss some of the most popular and useful mobile apps for you. For information about my guests and the apps we talk about, you can go to the 28 Tech program page on RTHK's website. This week's theme is dedicated to travel. Later in the show, I'll be talking to the Peninsula Hotel's Vice President of Marketing, Rob Cheng. We actually have our own in-house research and technology department and have had so for almost 30 years. So 30 engineers who do nothing but ensure that the technology that we have in the room works, is simple, is intuitive, and of course is safe and protects our guests' privacy. The Lonely Planet's Chris Zier and I chat about how technology has changed the way we use travel guidebooks before and during our trips. We realized with the the advances in technology that we actually definitely had to had to play in that space because it provided us much more access to our travelers and much more access to our consumers. And finally, I talk mobile apps with Napoleon Biggs, the founder of Hong Kong's oldest startup community, Web Wednesday. But first, let's get started with this week's tech news. The word of the week seemed to be Bengate for many tech news outlets. Just days after Apple launched their new smartphones, iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 Plus, some users complained about the way the devices bent in their pockets. The front pocket of skinny jeans seemed to be the worst offenders for Apple phones. Apple defended itself by saying the bending happened extremely rarely and that the phones were constructed to the highest standards. More than 10 million new phones were sold in the first week alone, and so far Apple says only nine customers contacted them about the bending. A new computer virus called Shellshock has been identified and described by some security experts as more dangerous than the Heartbleed virus discovered in April. CEO of White Hat Securities, Jeremiah Grossman, explains the difference between the two viruses and the potential size of the shell shock virus. Well, Heartbleed had the ability to, where we could see into encrypted data as it transmits from the browser to the website. Uh, Shellshock is much different. It allows us to execute commands on servers, whether they're on a user's desktop or on the web server in general. So it can just read, but now we can read and write. And that makes the system, the problem, wormable, meaning when we compromise using Shellshock one of these servers, you can then leapfrog to other systems. And it's not just, you know, home users' computers. You know, we know uh, Apple OS X is vulnerable, but it's really all the Unix and Linux-based systems ac across the world have a, the very real potential of having this issue. So every website on the planet, we have to check. German logistics company DHL has beaten Amazon and Google to become the first company to announce a regular drone delivery service. Drones will in fact deliver parcels to the island of Yust, located 12 kilometers in the North Sea, and will include deliveries of medication and other urgent supplies. There was, however, some good news for American companies this week, where commercial drone flights are still banned. 
The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration approved a waiver from general flight rules for six movie and TV production companies, allowing them to use drones for filming. There are currently over 40 waiver requests pending for commercial use, such as farming, real estate and, of course, parcel delivery services such as Amazon Prime Air. Until now, the only approved commercial drone flights on U.S. territory were in Alaska, where oil companies used the unmanned aircrafts to inspect oil operations. Apple was forced to deny rumors that emerged earlier this week, speculating they would shut down the music streaming service Beats Music. Apple acquired Beats Music and Beats Electronics, the company co-founded by Dr. Dre and best known for the Beats headphones, in May for $3 billion. Industry insiders believe Apple might rebrand Beats Music and incorporate the service into iTunes. BlackBerry launched a new smartphone this week called the Passport. The unusual-looking device resembles a passport in size and shape and includes a physical keyboard, which the phone makers say their fans love. BlackBerry's Paddy Power describes the phone's two key features in an interview with the BBC's Rory Sellin-Jones. Yeah, there's two things about it, as you just mentioned. One is the size and the shape of it. We're trying to be innovative with the size and shape to be able to give people the real estate on the screen without compromising because you've got a keyboard It's big. There. It's big. It fits. It's, um, <laughs> we, well, it fits in your pocket quite easily, but the key is very much it gives people what they've been asking for. They, they still like the bigger screen. And the keyboard itself, we've, as you'll see, we've only got three physical lines of keys, but we've also got well, some, some of the virtual keyboard on here. But if I start typing... What you'll see with the way I, I type here is if I start typing a, just a, this is uh, a new, we'll just type, type new, and I can show you that on the end here you get three, say, words that come up as predictive. Now, normally I would have had to touch the screen, but how about being able to use the keyboard to select those? The Passport's suggested retail price is 599 US dollars, and users will be able to download apps from the Amazon App Store. Travelling is something we all do at some point or another. Individuals and groups have been on the go, exploring, conquering, trading with and discovering new places since the beginning of time. Over the last 20 years, the travel industry has embraced the digital revolution. Online, mobile and most recently wearable technologies all play a role in how we choose our destinations, the way we book them and even interact with them once we've arrived. Joining me today are representatives from Lonely Planet and the Peninsula Hotel Group, two companies that were key players in the travel industry long before the proliferation of internet or social media. But they recognized early on that their well-established brand names would not be enough to keep today's tech-savvy customers engaged and satisfied. Let's get started with a look at the hospitality industry. I asked the Vice President of Marketing at the Peninsula Hotels, Rob Cheng, why it was so important for a well-established and traditional hotel brand to also be a technology innovator. Well, we at the Peninsula, we're not afraid of technology, but it's very important that we adopt a philosophy that technology is supposed to deliver a better guest experience. Um, even though we're the oldest hotel in Hong Kong, we just went through a big, big renovation where half of that uh, $450 million Hong Kong dollar investment was put into in-room technology. That enabled us to put the entire room control on tablets, 
uh, that allowed us to put all the hotel information in one of 11 languages, all in a very simple-to-use um, intuitive interface that we developed ourselves. So, so can you give me some examples of things that when people walk into the hotel or into their room, what are some of the things that they'll see that might have the wow factor? Well, first and foremost, I think it's these tablets that we've created uh, and all the touchscreen panels that allow you to control your room from turning on the lights to opening your curtains to turning on your TV to browsing the room service menu. All are available on these tablets that make the room completely paper-free, but also, more importantly, allows our guests to control their, uh, the rooms with one touch of a button. Okay. And tell me, who leads the innovation process? Are you following customer demands or are you creating them? I think it's a bit of both. Obviously, we observe where technology is going. We observe what technology enables us to do. We, of course, listen to our guest feedback. But sometimes it's about being ahead of the curve. Um, I think there's one great story of one of our engineers observing a guest blowing on her nails, trying to dry her, her manicure yes, uh, know, in time for dinner. <laughs> Uh, as I'm sure some of us have, have <laughs> you, has, has, has had that happen. But he observed, wouldn't it be a great idea if we installed a, uh, a nail dryer in the dressing rooms of our hotel? And thus, uh, a new, a new uh, technological function wow. was, was born. Okay, fantastic. And these, the thing that I notice is that hotels, a great hotel experience is usually based on a tailored, personalized experience on the concierge, almost knowing ahead of, before me, what it is that I need and what, I, what I'm looking for. Do you think having everything on tap through gadgets and through technology is going to remove that personalized service and ultimately maybe even the need of a concierge? Well, I think the need of someone intuitive, someone who cares, someone who is really ready to, to you know, be proactive with the service that they provide, that'll never go out of fashion, at least uh, at the Peninsula Hotels. I think what technology enables us to do is to be where the guest needs us to be. So whether or not they prefer to communicate via email, via phone, or in person, we will be there to adapt to what our guests want. But I think the element of personal service will never go away. It's just how we potentially deliver that service. Recently, there was a case in Shenzhen, actually, of security being breached by what's called an, an ethical hacker who breached into the security of or who broke into the security of the controls of a room and managed to reprogram all of the rooms. How do you approach problems like that? Obviously, is this the, the advent of technology, so much technology in a room? Is that a new headache that you've brought upon yourself? I think we are very, very careful, A, with security, and B, with what types of technology we put in the rooms. We actually have our own in-house research and technology department and have had so for almost 30 years. So 30 engineers who do nothing but ensure that the technology that we have in the room works, is simple, is intuitive, and of course, is safe and protects our guest privacy. So tell so, me about this a little bit, this R&D lab. I'm, I'm thinking James Bond here. I'm thinking trying things out. And are there any examples of some types of technology that just didn't take off? Or Well, of course, for every technology that has worked, <laughs> I think there's about 10 technologies that haven't worked. I think, you know, tablet technology is something that is not new, for example. But we wanted to be very, very certain that when we applied it and then put it into the rooms that it would work, it'd be simple, and that all the, the, the different uh, devices from your tablet to the printer to the windows to the TV, they all talk together. So that's why it was very important for us to have our own proprietary team developing the interfaces and developing the technology. 
sometimes we, we don't even know what they're developing. Last time I went to the, the lab, uh, they were busy trying to put a digital radio on a 1934 Rolls-Royce, uh, <laughs> all with a very simple interface, of course. Um, so sometimes, it's, you know, sometimes we want to surprise and delight our guests with technology, and sometimes it's to make their uh, in-room experience a little bit more convenient, a little bit more uh, Intuitive. Okay, and this lab is based here in Hong Kong. It's and a it's secret a location within Hong Kong. Secret location in Hong Kong. How, how very Hollywood. And you're developing for the whole world. And we all develop, of your hotels. yeah, we develop uh, group wide platforms for, for all hotels. And of course, we adapt kind of the technologies to whatever is needed at different uh, hotels. Okay. Now, for a hotel to be truly technologically advanced. It isn't just about the gadgets that customers can play with. It's also about the technology that's been implemented in the back end in ways that will help a hotel be managed or operated uh, more efficiently and in a, just overall in a better way. Can you give me some examples of types of technologies that are available in the hospitality industry that perhaps we as guests don't see? Of course. Um, I think, you know, the, the example that we have from the recent opening of the Peninsula Paris uh, is a great example. I think we have a really fabulous heritage building, but part of the four-and-a-half-year project was to make sure that the infrastructure was in place for a 21st-century hotel. So at that hotel, with one touch of a button to, for, to not disturb, not only does the light come on at the door, but we turn off the phones, we, we ensure that no one disturbs you in any other way. Uh, sim uh, you can also turn the do not disturb sign on from the comfort of your bathtub. So, that you so in other words, I can put my room in sleep mode. Exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Some hotel chains already allow customers to check in and out of room with their smartphones. And some are announcing plans of allowing even guests to choose their room through a floor plan, similarly as you would on an airplane choosing your seat. These are some examples of what we think we should expect in the future. Have you got some that you'd like to add? Um, I think we are slowly... Um, Evolving the in-room guest experience or the on-property experience, uh, improving it with technology. We probably will never do away with certain functions like concierge or a front desk agent, but how they deliver that service might change, might very well change from, from today. Uh, so we're of course exploring how we can take the check-in experience, the arrival experience, the concierge experience to a next level. Um, they will involve people in some form or another. Uh, and they will take advantage of technology. But exactly what that looks like, I think that's still to be uh, decided, at least for us. Rob, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Next, we take a look at the digital evolution of travel guides. Often described as the trusty companion we can rely on to tell us where to sleep, what to eat and where to go. Joining me on the line from Melbourne, Australia, is Lonely Planet's Asia-Pacific spokesperson, Chris Sire. Hello, Chris, and thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. The travel industry was one of the first to really be influenced by the advent of the Internet, and many technology companies edged their way into travel. This, however, was not the case for Lonely Planet, which had its roots firmly planted in traditional travel guidebook publishing. Now, talk me a little bit through your digital evolution, and what are some of the technology solutions you now offer travelers? So it's really interesting in terms of what we've witnessed. Lonely Planet's been in business for, for 41 years um, and, um, and we very much did actually have our roots in, in publishing uh, and in printed guidebooks. And we realised with the, the advances in technology that we actually definitely had to, had to play in that space because it provided us much more access to our travellers and much more access to our consumers. 
So we wanted to be able to offer them uh, or, or offer every individual an opportunity to um, to access our product via those platforms. Um, and you know that went back to you know to simple things in terms of we did actually create back in 1996 um, our first kind of traveller forum online which was called Thorntree and, and we would argue that it's one of the oldest uh, social media platforms to date because we did want to have a live kind of interactive conversation with our travellers. So right through, you know, right through to today where we, we produce product um, for, for e-readers, we've obviously got apps, we're incredibly active on all social media platforms and obviously travel lends itself, uh, lends itself to very specific ones and then obviously where is going to be the next thing um, for the future uh, in terms of what will be the what will be the thing that we will have to develop now to be able to you know to go on to uh, make sure that we're we can interact with travelers on the on that that next big thing and what are some of the most popular devices your customers are consuming the content on yeah, so we find that what ends up happening with most of our travellers is that they have multi-touch point behaviour. So what they do is they fairly much interact with us. Um, so it's not unusual to have someone with a printed product in hand, but they're also interacting us, with us on um, maybe a social media platform such as Instagram, or they've got um, a book on an e-reader, or they've got an app on their mobile phone. So there is a very much um, a, a product portfolio and the way that we've had to actually um, create um, product and shape product has been very much something that's complementary rather than substituting. So the last thing that we wanted to do was just create the same product on all of these various platforms and make make the consumer choose. What we wanted to do was actually offer really interesting solutions to the to the traveller problem um, via all the different mechanics that um, that technology has kind of has afforded us. We do find that um, that people, even as basically as going onto our website and downloading PDF chapters, has had an incredible amount of success. It might sound incredibly old school, um, but it is the thing that where people can almost kind of like pick and mix and tailor their own product right through to um, right through to um, you know actually language apps and other bits and pieces. Okay, so it sounds like the important thing is in a case like yours, where you have both offline and online content, is to make sure the content is. Um complementary rather than just copying, having a digital version of a paper book. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and most of our content kind of falls into four buckets. So we, we have this kind of planning content. We have the on-the-road content. We also have inspirational content and then kind of reflective content. And the way that we've approached things is, is to kind of look at technology um, as well as print and sort of say, well, what are the right ways of shaping those, those four buckets of the way that we produce our content to those particular devices? And being really careful that one basically doesn't sacrifice another. So again, we're not kind of cannibalizing ourselves or just you know or being boring in terms of offering the same thing um, on those various platforms but again I get back to that we need to make sure that we're solving a traveler need because that's one of the key things that Lonely Planet does do so well is we put the traveler at the heart of our business and what what is the traveler problem that we're trying to solve. As travellers, we used to rely on the knowledge and expertise of local guides, whether in books or in person, if we were, for instance, to hire a local guide in front of a monument or in a city. But now it seems everyone can be a local expert with an opinion. What role do you think social media, blogs and online review sites play in the travel industry as a whole? 
So, yeah, particularly social media is an interesting one because we really do think that social media has become, and particularly blogs and recommendations from, from travellers, is, is very much an enabler for people. So people can kind of see that if someone's gone out there and done it, they've, they've travelled to a particular, maybe it's a fairly intrepid destination and they've come back and they've blogged about it, um, they can see those potentially, those live photos or that live image um, uh, of the thing that they've done. So it's really interesting in that it, in, it's, it's very much, as I said, the word, uh, you know, is an enabler. I think the other flip side to that is the um, is that there's a quite a lot of sites that are out there that are kind of aggregators of opinion um, and request opinions um, from the, from a variety of sources. And we do find that a lot of the traveller community does get quite confused by where those recommendations come from. And this is where Lonely Planet does come into its own because of the fact that we're, you know, we're, we're an independent company. We hire authors that are travel experts. So what we're finding is that people are actually really coming to us for, um, for validation. Um, of those particular things. Um, so, it's, it's, so it's interesting. So it's, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword in that um, it's absolutely enabling more travellers to travel, but it's also causing a little bit of confusion because of the mass of information that's out there and can I actually trust it? And finally, um, very briefly, can you tell me what's the next big thing? Oh, it's got to be wearable. You know, Apple have announced that, the, you know, the, the, the watch that they're most recently, um, GoPro kind of changed the game when it came to um, when it came to people wearing things and being able to capture live images. Um, so wearable is, is the thing that we're most interested in at the moment. I'll take the example of the watch. Can the watch be able to give you a guided tour um, that dings when you're in it, which is geolocated, which dings when you're in a specific area? Can it tell you that um, you're um, you know that you're within X amount of distance from a fantastic um, event or a destination, cafe, bar, and um, whatever? It might happen to be. So um, wearable is, is the thing that we're most interested in. The other thing that we're doing a lot of um, a lot of work around is kids. So Lonely Planet Kids is an, an area that um, we're really investing quite heavily in uh, and particularly around gaming. Um, so interactivity um, with, with LP games um, for, for Apple and Android um, devices, um, which actually has that, that interactivity, which is slightly learning, but also, um, you know, has that fun travel, travel bent and travel aspect. Excellent. Thank you so so much. That's Chris Zire from Lonely Planet. In our final segment, we look at mobile apps related to this week's theme, which of course is travel. Helping me wade through the thousands of travel-related apps out there is Napoleon Biggs, founder of Hong Kong's oldest community for tech startups called Web Wednesday. Hello, Napoleon, and welcome to the show. Hello. What are some of your must-have apps when traveling, the ones you just don't leave home without? I use a lot, but my top three are Tripcase, Waze, which is spelt W-A-Z-E, and LingoPal. And Tripcase, uh, what I like about Tripcase is basically it stores all of your travel details in one app. So you've got your flight details, your hotel, uh, and information about the destination, not just weather, but you know places to go, what's the entertainment's there, etc. And then it's, it's very shareable. So if you're using it in a kind of business environment, small business environment, uh, you can connect it to your calendar. So okay. share that with your people. And if you want to share it with family and friends, you basically just forward the details. Fantastic. Uh, and if, if you make changes throughout the trip, um, does it automatically update the people that you've included in the uh, list? You can set up to do that. But what I, what I also like about it is that if, and it tends to happen a lot, is if the, um, the gate changes when you're you know, boarding a flight, it will email you and update the app so you're aware of you know, what's happening. Excellent. All right. And the second one uh, is Waze, and Waze is uh, 
basically it uses Google Maps but adds another layer on top. And that layer is crowdsourced from people in that locality. And basically it takes all of their information they've input regarding you know, police speed checks, gas station, convenience stations, uh, car accidents, things like that. And it gives you alternative routes and tells you, right, you might want to slow down because there's a policeman around the corner. So you're getting local, local information, local knowledge when you're traveling around. Yeah, okay. but very up to date. And it kind of adds a layer that's very entertaining because you can uh, customize your icon. And if you travel a lot, that icon kind of gets upgraded. Uh, and you can add in uh, voiceovers. So it's a little bit more interesting than the deadpan kind of GPS you normally get. <laughs> Where have you given this a try? Uh, I was in, in Cork in Ireland and I had Elvis uh, showing me around the, the side streets. Of Sounds Cork. like the perfect travel companion. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, you had one more. And the final one is Lingopal. I hate going to a destination and not being able to communicate. So Lingopal basically gives you a whole set of phrases for free. There's a free version, a paid version. But it allows you, you know, to communicate with uh, taxi drivers, of course, and then, uh, you know, order food and shop. It's an icebreaker, isn't it, where when you waiters or taxi drivers or just generally locals see that you're at least you're attempting a few phrases or to learn their language, they do open up a bit more, don't yep. they? People warm up, but also I think it prevents the traveller from getting angry because that, that kind of I can't communicate with them, yes. you know, element disappears. Okay, and there is one yeah. function in there, isn't there, that um, helps you be a little bit lazy. <laughs> yeah, I've seen people use this, especially with uh, re in restaurants, is that you can press to have the phrase pronounced. Excellent. Actually, which is very useful in places like Vietnam or Thailand, where the, the language is actually really hard to pronounce. Yes, where uh, the wrong pronunciation can have a completely yes. different meaning. <laughs> We've all had that experience. One of my favorite apps is actually called Pack and Go Deluxe, and um, it helps me organize the the packing the packing lists for each of the members of our family. And it's really useful if you've got quite a large family, and if you've got um, most members with different ages, so toddlers, babies, teenagers, male, female, and so forth. You can set up a separate profile for each person and the app suggests things that that person might need based on their age and on their whether they're male or female. Um, so a number of times I've found myself packing things I would have normally forgotten. And the great thing is, is you can save these profiles for the next trip. And as you go through the list and just tick off the items that you have packed, it updates the status so you can see whether you're 50%, 100% and so forth. That sounds a bit OCD, but actually it isn't. It's, it's really, really useful. And well, thank you, Napoleon. That's all we have time for today. To see the full list of apps Napoleon and I have chosen for you this week, head over to the 28 Tech program page on RTHK's website. Well, that's it for the first ever episode of 28 Tech. Join me next week at the same time when we'll be talking about the technological aspect of sports and fitness. I'll be asking my guests if we really are living healthier lifestyles thanks to technology. And if so, which gadgets and apps out there are helping us achieve this? We'll also be looking at how innovation is helping professional athletes achieve better than ever results. Don't forget, you can download this podcast on the iTunes or the RTHK website. If you'd like to get in touch, drop me an email at 28tech at rthk.hk. Thank you.